everyone to the rest podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Roberts, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. All right, Virginia. So you had talked about in our last episode wanting to discuss more and dive further into the book that Dr. Coleman had written. I just think that before I get into that, when we look at people that have accomplished anything, when we look at the enduring voices, I should say, of a generation that often speak to the triumph of the human spirit, it's also beautiful and so inspiring and motivating. But we often neglect the price, the cost of a vision the price of a dream, the commitment, not just of the person who is given stewardship over a vision or a mission or a purpose, but the family. And you just shared with us a beautiful example of what it means to stand hmm. in the gap yeah. for each other. Sometimes it is, in your case, it was your father, but sometimes right. it's a sibling, sometimes it's a mother. Sometimes it is our pastors. Sometimes it's our leaders. And with that comes so much ridicule, so much judgment, so much condemnation. However, I don't think this book that I'm holding in my hand would have been possible without all those experiences. It's called The Heart of a Warrior, Delivering the Children of the World for Christ. I'd like you to tell me how... The pilgrimage of your life and the story of your family contributed to the inspiration for this book. Well, that book was a writing assignment from Abba, from God himself, which I, I know sounds kind of crazy, but I've been given writing assignments my whole life. I was my father's senior editor. Mm -hmm. So I was the one who he came to and he said, I have 30 days. I need a manuscript for tough times never last. Tough people, tough times don't never last, but tough people do, which was on the New York Times bestseller list for for years, number one. There was another book you probably have heard of, The Be Happy Attitudes. Mm -hmm. Dad didn't want to write that book. He came to me and he said, Sheila, I can't get out of this contract. This is the title. Here's the topic. Here's the deadline. I was dad's senior editor slash ghostwriter. However, that was more of, it, it was always his words, his message. But I apparently was really good at capturing his voice because nobody could ever tell <laughs> the majority of it. Because I had to assemble, I had to create, I had to pu- pull it all together, truly take his message and turn it into a manuscript form that was pub for the publishers. So I had published, I had presidents of thomas nelson and word you could tell you the names they used to call me sheila i need a book from your dad this is the title this is the topic this is the deadline and i'd get, get it, it down done. and i'd say and i get it done and i get it done it was the same way with my professors you know here's a paper that you need to write a dissertation here's a title here's a topic here's a deadline get it done frequently so what i learned through all of that is you don't have to necessarily know what the book's going to say before you start it you know, you know, you frequently learn as you're writing, as you're putting together a book, as you're, as you're crafting it, as you're researching it, as you're looking to see what is it about this that I'm going to say now. 
That's not a romantic pilgrimage. It sounds so good, and you make it sound so easy. But I know what that what is required of you. Well, yeah, but I found it very simple. It was just it was just an easy task for me. It's just, it just I'm kind. Of, that's my that's where I just kind of flow naturally. So is this was this book simple? Actually, yes, it was in one way in the writing part, because, well, then this is the first time I, so when God said to me, he said to me one morning in my prayer time, he said, Sheila, I want you to write a book. The title is The Heart of a Warrior, Delivering the the Children of the World for Christ. And he said, I want it disseminated in three months time. And honestly, Virginia, it was so kind of like non-emotional. And I was just kind of like, it was an assi- another assignment. It was another writing assignment. Yeah. And I was, and I w- but I was like, well, kind of like I would have even with some of the publishers. Well, I don't know if I really care that much about the title because it honestly didn't resonate with me. And I was like, I don't even understand this. I don't know why he would give this to me. He should have given it to somebody. I don't know anything about what is delivering the children. What is, what's going on? Why do I need to write this book? I mean, I, t- I say that in the book because it's, with all transparency, I was just as clueless as all the others out who are still today, too many of them, as to what's really been happening to the children. And this was a year over a year ago that God asked me to write that book. And it wasn't until I started writing it that I really saw what was going on. And that, the peril. And, that's, and so the hard part about the book was the heartache. Well, the ultimate dagger of darkness to the soul of humanity is the destruction of our family and the destruction of our children. Yes. The demise of the family and the destruction of our own children. And when you, through by the confusion, chaos and disease of the competing narratives, when many people feel they're, they can even rationalize that decision, we're in really deep, dark waters. Well, the statistics tell a, tell a, a very very t- a horrible tale tell us what's happening to children and what are the statistics uh, well i'll just tell you the one that broke my heart and there's a whole i've called it the list and it's what god just revealed to me including what was going on in the schools now mind you this was over a year ago that the schools were losing parental rights to, uh, the God-given parental rights have been stripped away. There, there's attempts. Att- there's a battle. There's a battle over that. Whether we like to acknowledge parents it. are losing, losing parental parent- rights. They're, yeah, it's being stripped away from them. Why them. would government want rights over our children? Well, I don't consider myself a political person, but I actually heard about this. I this concept back when I was taking one of my master classes, and this was in about 1994. And I'm pretty sure on that date. And we were told to read a book. I didn't understand the book, but it, the professor was a, a spouse socialist Marxist. And I was like, I don't get this book. I'm reading it. I read it again. I don't understand what I'm reading. I read it again. I was going, you understand what you're reading. You just don't understand what you're reading. <laughs> what, they're, what they're saying. How could well, this be? It was an escape from reason, as Francis Schaeffer would say. We were, oh. it, we were invited to embrace something that was an escape from reason so it's a conflict you felt within yourself i could not comprehend how they school they were saying that teachers and schools and 
they should have the rights of the children over the parents, that the parents should Mm -hmm. be stripped of their rights. Property. They see people as property. That's dangerous. Well, and they wanted to have the say. They wanted to, yeah, yeah. So this whole, I made the mistake of thinking it was a fringe ideology at the time. So did many great thinkers of the time, but now looking back, we see that the Dr. Dobson's of the mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. were trying to warn us. Yeah. The Verna Hall, the Rose Slater, the great leaders of our time, many, many people rose up and tried to warn us of the tsunami that now has hit. It has hit. It has hit. Mm-hmm. So that's just one of the one of the many in the list, but it's a, it's a call to prayer, to pray for them. But the one act, an act to act. Yeah. And prayer precedes action or should accompany it. Well, when we pray, we are given directives in that inner sanctuary of our soul where we commune with the creator of the universe. We're given directives. We're given inspiration. We're given specific, a specific course of action. Mm -hmm. And there is no fluff And it will be successful and productive. But if prayer becomes a form of rote venting or random affirmations or declarations, then we become frustrated because we wonder why our prayers aren't answered. When prayer is really an opportunity to go deep, deep, deep into the inner chambers of our soul and listen. It is. Prayer is also a weapon. Yes, it is. that's why it's a weapon, because the power comes from the inside that's out. Right. And right. if not, we're driven by our good intentions, which are f- generally compelled by our reactivities instead of being inspired, right? Mm-hmm. From the inside out, the power and the authority of God at that's work. Right. And the do- I mean, the dwelling place of God is man, but that power exactly. and that force field has to come from the inside out, right? Yes, yes it can't stay within you. So ultimately, you were assigned this book by God himself, and writing it was, it didn't just flow. You were wondering what you were exactly writing, so it was a little bit... Well, I didn't know what it was about at the beginning, but it did just, it did pretty much flow. I mean, it was was very much, I call it God-breathed. Um, the ideas, I, they weren't my ideas. I, I can't take credit for a lot of them. What were the ideas that began to emerge, and how did they flow? Well, I'll never forget the one that I love the most is the, is the last chapter, chapter eight. And so much of the time, I would God would give me these ideas while I'm in the middle of baking or cooking or doing dishes and my hands are wet. And I'm going, so I have to wash my hands, dry them off so I can find my paper and my pencil and write it down because it's so good. Because he said, he said, Sheila, their, their last chapter is, if little faith can move mountains, what can limitless faith do? Wow. Yeah, ponder and, that. Right, and faith <laughs> comes from that quiet, still inner voice that informs us, it's, that says, I know this doesn't make any sense, but trust me, yeah. and do this. Yeah. It's an adventure. The life of faith is not a life wrought with peril, but I think it's a life full of wonder, because you have no idea where the next thing's coming and how it's going to unfold. You have to depend on God. 
And that's what I, I did tell the story through the book. And one of the things that, that I saw as I wrote the book, it was, a, it was really a beautiful thing. I knew I wanted to tell what happened. I wanted to tell my side of the story. But as I put in the book, I said, I do not have a single human enemy. I do not believe I do. I only have one enemy, and it's the same enemy that God has. That's the only enemy that I have. And it does manifest in darkness and things that make no sense that come to kill, steal, and destroy us. Have we, are we not seeing it today? Are we not seeing it on every sphere? The beauty of what's happening today is, regardless of the political spectrum, you see that it is ultimately a battle to control lives stewardship over not just our children but over us too Mm -hmm. but we have the freedom to choose how we we will respond this is another one of dad's teachings and that comes from victor frankel who when he was in the concentration camp and they stole they they stripped him of everything and then when they removed his wedding ring he that was the last thing they could take from him and he said had this thought You can take absolutely everything away from me, but there's only one thing you cannot take, and that's my freedom to choose how I will respond to what you do to me. At rest, we talk about liberty, hmm. that it is the internal function of the soul, our capacity to access that little voice that says I was bent for more than this and navigate our mind, our heart, our will, our conscience, our feelings, right? Right. That emote. But it's our capacity to exercise that liberty that secures or expands or diminishes our freedom. So I love man's search for meaning Mm -hmm. and his work Mm -hmm. is obviously a masterpiece inspired, I think, by God. But it's really the liberty mm-hmm. that God has instilled within the heart of man that either diminished or expanded the freedom that no one can take from us. Right. But we've got to harness that inner strength. You know, when we were talking during the last segment, I thought you have the heart of a warrior. God had to give you the heart of a warrior, but you had to decide to step into that space to say, no, this is not dad's battle. This is our conversation because what we're navigating and dealing with isn't just happening to me and my family. It's happening to all of us. And to some extent, I see that character and that conscience in you where you show up to engage people at that level of reasoning. And I think that sustains you. And I know that's kind of deep, but when I look at you and I speak with you i see that substance in you but you said here send me i'll go yes and that's what prepared you to write a book like this by the way blindly write a book like this is that you really that these other battles didn't defeat you you showed up with integrity and did the right thing because god was with me every step of the way he was he held my hand he held when you can't even explain that, can you? It's, it's hard to explain. It is, it is hard to explain. It sounds very nebulous. It sounds very, but there's nothing stronger. There's nothing stronger. Oh, I see in, it in you. In the world. And, and if I can just tell, I want to go back in time again to when dad planted the church. 
I was four years old. And we didn't have a church building. We only had a drive-in theater. And we had a little house in Garden Grove, tiny little house. And the one, the first bedroom was Dad's office. And my brother was an infant. And my mom was hanging out diapers in the backyard. And so I was, da- I like to say, I was Dad's first receptionist because she was, with the doorbell rang, she'd go, Sheila, go get the door. So I would. And I can still remember seeing these women standing there, crying tears in their eyes and saying, I heard a pastor lives here. Wow. And as a four-year-old, I remember saying to them, well, let me go get my daddy. He can help you. But when you think about that story and that 40, 50 years later, he would be invited into the Soviet, then the Soviet Union. Yeah. (laughs) To literally commune with Mikhail Gorbachev, mm-hmm. who would ultimately bring down the wall. You talk about breaking barriers in the spiritual realm mm-hmm. of unseen world. And for all the judgments, goosebumps, you're talking about that. Oh, my gosh. Well, you, you see the judgment that came upon the family and it yeah. pe- upon our community mm-hmm. and the shame that came upon Orange County. Everything It's like, how many people can we take down with a pastor? And I don't want to neglect the sovereignty of God, not just in the life of your father and the good that he did do to advance the cause of truth. But the impact it had on the life of his four-year-old daughter, who's now at lives, oh, but I, we think, I, yeah, I'm seventy-two, seventy-two, <laughs> and here you are from four years old. But, but look what's happened in the pilgrimage of your life. And I want this to encourage people, Natalie, because we talk about this mm-hmm. all the time. We need to raise hope. Exactly, and the hope is in the sovereignty of God at the at work in the lives of men and nations. And it doesn't begin or stop with the media, begin or stop with politics, begin or stop with education. It begins and it ends with the enduring voices of a generation that will speak and persevere and live and decide that their final word will be one of triumph and endurance and perseverance. And I think that's what I love about you. And your presence, the gentleness, the tenderness, but your fierce inside. What was the one thought mm. that this project left you with in terms of the inner strength and the work of God in your life that helped you begin and complete it? Being trained to look at the stats and go look and dig and deep. And, and as I went and I saw that, and the one that, w- that appalled me the most, and I'm looking, we're looking at the stats for starvation, orphans, um, you name it, stealing, killing, and destroying children. It's going on internationally. And, but it was a statistic on suicide, ages 14 to 17, I believe, tripled. In what period of time? It's in there. I do not remember. Do you remember what chapter it was on? The time to fight is now. Because that's what, when I read the statistics, and I allude to them in the beginning, in the introduction, I allude to them in that one. And then there's a prayer guide in in the the book. We actually gave 
prayers for people to read because not everybody knows how to pray prayers these the kinds of prayers that need to be prayed for such a, for to deliver right. children from these attacks and i just yeah i just decided that when i read that i was like enough is enough <laughs> We have so many people that want to gift healing to their friends and family members. Due to popular request, we've officially created the Gift of Rest package for purchase. Please go to theplaceofrest.com forward slash wholeness packages to view the Gift of Rest. If you've been listening to our podcast regularly and are now wondering what's next or how can I get more support? Our Day of Rest course is available to support you in your pilgrimage. Use the promo code PODCAST, all lowercase, to receive a 10% discount for our introductory Day of Rest course. Now back to the show. <laughs> yeah, I just felt this sense of mother, <laughs> mother lion, uh, lioness uh, roar kind of a thing that just welled up within me. You know, I am a mother. I've got four sons. I'm a grandmother. I have nine grandchildren. I'm an educator. I love children. And when I started to see the condition of the children in the entire world, I just became really, truly. <laughs> well, it's like Gary and Angry, said. To be honest, a righteous indignation and in saying I'm not. And it was similar to standing as between me and dad and the attacks that were coming at him. And I feel the same now. I've been called, my call is to stand between evil in the world and the children of the world. You yeah. know, when Gary and Dr. Dobson, I think in reading the book, Our Hopes, Our Dreams, I highlighted the world has never seen the joint efforts of women saying no more Mm. because that is the fruit. That is a gift of women to humanity is what the advancement of life, light, liberty, love, law. We shape the character and conscience of the next generation. Mm -hmm. So it so compels me to hear you say that because this is a universal principle. We have a womb and we have this unique capacity to advance the cause of life, which is the thing closest and dearest to the heart of God besides love. Mm-hmm. Out of love, he made life for his pleasure, for that he made us like him, to be like him in fellowship with him. So you see that the fire in the heart of a woman is this one step too far, mm-hmm. one straw too many. This is where I get off yeah. of the political, philosophical agenda. This is where I just stand for life. And goodness. Mm -hmm. So I see that in you. I see that in your book. This chapter that you mentioned, the time to fight is now fiercely displacing the confusion, chaos, and dis-ease of the age. And that's what you're attempting to do by bringing awareness Mm -hmm. and calling women to action. Yes, Mm ma'am. Closing (laughs) thoughts. Natalie, did you want to say something? I was just going to say that I mean, in, I think, today's society, especially with this whole feminism movement going on right now, that is just crazy. This, this book is so refreshing, especially, you know, obviously coming from like the Christian perspective of like, yes, we are women. Yes, we are fierce. Like, hear me roar. Right. But I know that there's also a lot of women that feel like they don't have that, that they can't step into that place. And I know that every single woman has that capability, has that fierceness by design. By design. Absolutely. And I mean, I was just thinking about it while you were talking. 
the fact that we give birth is it speaks to that because that in itself is long suffering that in itself you have to be a warrior in it's a it is a hard thing to do <laughs> right so i mean that's just what it's i was thinking divine, about yeah. it's a divine assignment because that life is literally woven into your life yeah it's such a sacred calling but something that i love to hear from you natalie and your generation is your view of what's happening because i think it's yeah. the end of feminism oh it is no a thousand percent that's it's why collapsing I said that this is because so... everything false will die a natural death and it is yes. dying a natural death it is dying a natural death and we've and gotten the true power of a woman is rising up to say that's a lie yeah exactly and every everything that's going on with feminism right now it, it is definitely in its dying stages which is great sure. but the way that it is dying is brutal brutal and horrendous and it is confusing if you don't actually know and understand and and truly see what is happening and the value of a woman the beauty of tenderness and sensitivity Mm -hmm. and this power that we always talk about the power of a woman and the authority of a man yeah how those things are indispensable but they need to come together in full force to, I think, heal the hemorrhaging heart of a generation. And I think we're watching it happen. Yeah. And women are really, and I mean, I'm seeing it just in myself, even right now, is that women are are starting to long for those like homesteading days where we were able to step into our femininity and our tenderness and, you know, learning how to bake bread at home, have a garden, have, I mean, that's like where I'm at. Like, I want to own some chickens. Like, I'm, I'm ready to do the whole thing. But, but it also takes having the men to step into their authority. And I think that we're at this crux in our society right now where there, it's a teeter-totter we're on a slippery slope and so it's either going to go to those days where the men are going to rise up and we're going to enter into uh, that period of masculine authority which is amazing that's the way that god designed it or we're going to go the other way and keep sliding further down the hill and i'm really hoping that it's for the first one i think it's an uprising yeah but the children the children I think they're the ones that Mm -hmm. can cause us to put everything aside Yep, and rise up and say no more. I have a lot of hope for them. I do too. That's one of the things since writing the book, I, it's a book of hope. And I put that in the very beginning and that's really important for people to hear. I have tremendous hope. I do too. And I want, would like to really break this down and collaborate with you to see how, at rest, mm-hmm. we can help you do that in ways that you never dreamt possible. Mm-hmm. And Sheila, you're going to say, oh my gosh, having written what you've written, you're going to see only God could have totally put you on this assignment. Mm-hmm. But I was telling the girls today, I got all choked up. Oh, it was Jonathan and Amanda, but I'm trying to leave everything in place in the next however many mm-hmm. years I have mm-hmm. for these guys to take it to places and bring people in to develop the narratives in ways I never intended. The the big battle was always Virginia. We got to brand Virginia. We got to brand Virginia. So when you guys were big in the Crystal Cathedral and all that was happening, my work was published all over the United States. It was published all over the world, my photography. Tommy Nelson published. Mm -hmm. Hallmark published a lot of my work and whatnot. I was at the CBA Mm -hmm. and I walked in. And they had commissioned me to do some artwork. And at the time, Carpentry had commissioned a lot of my photography because they were doing all the framed art with my work. 
And on my way to the booth, I had to do a signing. I ran into R.C. Sproul. And I said, R.C., how are you? And he said, Virginia. And he gave me a big hug. And I said, what do you think of the CBA this year? And I'll never, ever forget. He came close and he said, (laughs) he got that look that R.C. would get. And he pulled me close and he said, if Jesus was in here, he'd walk in with a whip in his hands. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And I thought... (laughs) I think so, too. <laughs> but I'm no R.C. Sproul. But I thought, that's what I was thinking. Not quite in those words. but And he blinked at me and he said, don't ever forget it. So I went to see Carpentry. I, I went to the booth, right? And, you know, they had promoted and advertised like they do when they have an author or speaker or a writer. And right. by then they had published a lot of my gift books and everything through Garborgs and whatnot. So people were familiar with my work. And I'll never forget, women were around me and I felt like fl- it was all like flies, right? I don't know why I got the idea of flies. Mm. I wish I would have I thought of honey and there were bees, but no, it was flies. And I just thought, I heard that quiet, still voice. It's, and I said to the Lord, you know, if this is the sum total of my work, I will consider my life a failure. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested. And you guys know the extent to which I feel this way. I said, I'm not interested in fame and I'm not interested in money. And so I turned to Jenny and I said, we're losing the heart of a generation mm-hmm. in this country. I just ran into R.C. and I asked him what he thought about all this. And he said, you know, and I told her what he said. And she said, are you quitting? Are you telling us that you're not going <laughs> to fulfill your contract? And, you're just and I said, no, 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 not at all. But if this is the sum total of my work, I will consider my life a failure. I... There's going to be a shift. There has to be a shift. I can't sit here and collect these amazing royalties and take this, these amazing pictures. I love photography. I see the world different through the lens of a camera. So it was my love and my passion. And I said, no, 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 no. I just can't keep going down this path. And you need to know. So next thing you know, she comes back and arranges a meeting with Honor Books, the president of Honor Books at the time. And next thing you know, at the end of the conference, I'm sitting in a roundtable discussion with the president of Honor Books. She says, I want you to tell him everything you told me this morning, you know, when we were doing the signing. And I said, well, I just have deep convictions about losing the heart of a generation. And I think we're dealing with a hemorrhaging heart of a generation. I saw this beautiful guy the other day at a restaurant, and it says, born to hate. Mm-hmm. And I asked myself, what went wrong in America? What's happening? Now, as an immigrant, I have a lot of things I'd like to say, but nobody's listening. Because I became a Christian because I read the Federalist Papers. But I know this, when America ceases to be good, America will cease to be. Mm-hmm. This, form, right. this form of government, right? Liberty to secure freedom. That yeah. means making decisions of no, conscience. We are truly on a precipice, our country. We're on a precipice. On a precipice. But the exciting part, Sheila, for me, <laughs> is I saw it when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I'm 63 years old. Mm-hmm. And I try. I was so excited. I thought I was going to go to class and we were going to have this amazing debate. And it would be the beginning of my career as an attorney. And <laughs> I was going to get involved in government and politics. And I had this Pollyanna view of how things were going to unfold. And I found 
myself getting angrier and angrier and angrier. People didn't care. So I thought, screw it, forget it. I guess I'll be a therapist. (laughs) And then I went to study psychiatry and psychology. And I thought this hole is deeper. It's broader. It's wider. And so I didn't have a place to go. And so I went into this desert experience, which is good. This is the first time I've recorded all this stuff. (laughs) I went into this desert experience, Sheila, and I started reading Jay Adams. I started reading Man's Search for Meeting. Mm -hmm. I started delving deep into philosophy and theology and the sciences. And then I thought, wait a minute. Ultimately, it's confusion, chaos, and dis-ease and all these disciplines that's dividing us. So the whole system's imploding because something is undermining our capacity to reason. Then you start reading books like The Underground Movement of American Education by, I think it was Gato that was awarded Teacher of the Year. And then he started exposing. So then I realized, wait a minute, there's an uprising. And then there's Miss Hall that transcribed or wrote or compiled the Noah Webster 1828 Dictionary, father of the English language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I realized, wait a minute, we've lost the language of liberty. That's why freedom is slipping. They're losing their story. Yeah, yeah. But I've been hearing from, and I'm not, a, I'm not in political sciences at all, but the um, socialist Marxism, we're, we're seeing people who come from those countries are all saying, they see the all the red flags. They go. They start doing this. They start doing that. One is they well, start taking possession of the children. Of the of, they start taking away. They change the language. They start to take down the history. Er, erase the history. Rewrite Natalie, it. Right? I want you to wrap your mind around what Sheila's saying. Okay. <laughs> My dad was having these conversations with me when I was seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, mm-hmm. thirteen, fourteen, fifteen mm-hmm. years old. By the time I got to high school. I knew the CIA was involved in the assassination of President Kennedy. I knew my dad. Now, I had debates and arguments with my dad because I was probably more of a Democrat than than anything. But not that my dad aligned himself with any party. He was just an educated man. They were come from a family of educators. So they understood what was happening globally. Mm-hmm. So here we are. What? In my, I'm in my 60s, mm-hmm. and I just have one thing to say. My dad was right. Yes. And when I found myself at the CBA, with other words, in a different context, I'm still trying to have the same conversation I was trying to have when I was 17 years old, and nobody cared. Mm-hmm. So when I found myself around the table with a president of Honor Books, this was very interesting. Because they offered me an incredibly lucrative publishing agreement. And I'll never, ever forget looking at my two little girls sitting around the table and my husband across from me. And he looked at me and I looked at him. We'd been married 20 years. We asked to have a little bit of time to pray about everything. He wanted me to move into a suite. I forgot where they were located at the time. And I could have my family with me, and they would give me a writer, but I could author this book so I could get it out. He said, we've got to document everything you just said. And then I thought, he sees me as a marketable commodity, Hmm. and I'm not ready to step into a national and a global stage with these ideas because I had no peace. And Natalie will tell you, If I don't have peace about something, I don't care what you throw at me. I'm not moving. Mm 
Yeah, no, she'll sit there for months. It doesn't matter. <laughs> she doesn't, doesn't have peace. She's not moving. I mean, no, you, because you learn, right? You that our good intentions lead us to hell. And I literally, I literally was thinking about this the other day because I, I, my husband and I are planning on moving to Austin, and God's kind of pushing us that way. And we, I've been feeling that way for like two years, but God kept saying, "Wait, wait, wait," and it was very hard to stay patient. And I heard or read something recently that said. What if God isn't just telling you to wait just because it's not the time? What if he's actually trying to protect you from something or protect you from yourself before you are wise enough to Mm. move into Mm -hmm. that space? Mm -hmm. You might end up making a decision that could essentially hurt you, hurt your family. Or prepared like you you was preparing you totally through the things. But, you know, around that table. We walked away and I looked at my little girls and he had one by the hand. I had the other one and they were looking like, are we moving or what's, what just happened? And they were curious. And my husband, I'll never forget. He put his arm around me and he said, they don't get you Mm -hmm. that this isn't something you're selling. This is a deep conviction. And just because you speak about something with conviction doesn't mean in your mind that you're the person right now to go advance. It's not about promoting you or promoting your ideas. It's about something's happening in America and we need to wake up to it and let's change the conversation we're having. Let's explore that. But they want, they saw me as a marketable commodity, but it wasn't the time. Yeah. I have some thoughts and ideas, but that'll have to wait for till we are able to really dream together and see what God will do with those dreams. I would love it. Knowing (laughs) ladies and gentlemen that are listening that when you dream, yes, it's wrought with sacrifice. There's peril, but it is worthy of. Well, dad said, I'd rather attempt something great and fail Mm -hmm. than attempt nothing and And succeed. succeed. Yeah. I love it. Well, I can't wait to see what becomes of this book because there's something great here and we're going to have to put our heads together. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sheila. Thank you. Thank you. What a joy. All right, everyone. To get in touch with Dr. Coleman or attend her church, Hope Center of Christ in Orange, please go to hopecenteroc.org. Also, join the conversation of Heart of a Warrior by going to heartofawarrior.net and purchasing her book on Amazon. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to theplaceofrest.com forward slash donate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week.